Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, we are back in the basement, plugging through the Gospel of John. We are rapidly approaching the halfway mark within the Gospel of John. Uh, Remember that the Gospel of John is uh, basically all these witnesses, all these signs, all these I am statements that lead up to just telling people who Jesus is, that he is the Son of Man, that he is part of the triune God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's a part of the triune God and that he is God. Um, It's professing to who Jesus is. And we just stepped out of John 9, uh, which very much has a lot to do with the context of the text we're going to read now in John 10, um, which started with a man who was blind from birth, was touched by Jesus, sent by Jesus, and healed by Jesus. And it stirred things up to the point that this man was cast out of society. And Jesus goes and finds this man because this man had held in his testimony. He said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who this guy is, but I was blind and now I see. And so this theme of blindness, whether it's physical blindness to physical sight or spiritual blindness to spiritual sight, Jesus approaches this man and and reveals himself for the first time this man hadn't seen Jesus. He had been touched by Jesus, sent by Jesus, healed by Jesus, but had not seen him. Jesus reveals himself to this man, and this man says, Lord, I believe, and is compelled to worship. The Pharisees were in the background, and jumping into the theme of this story, they said, Jesus, are we blind? And Jesus says, well, you are definitely guilty because he saw what was going on in their hearts and their arrogant question of, are we blind? They were saying, hey, like you think we're blind? And he was saying, because you think you see, because of your pride, because of the pride and the idol you have in you and your knowledge. Um, you are guilty. And so what we're about to read is a follow-up. He's continuing the conversation with those same Pharisees. This has not transitioned, even though chapters and verses are put into place to organize things within our Bibles so that we can find things easily. This is, is not a, there is not a break in this conversation. And so we continue on in John 10, verse 1 where it says, truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. The man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought Out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. 
this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we see this picture. Again, Jesus wonderfully painting pictures with his words. But this is a picture that Israel would be very familiar with. Throughout Israel's history, a shepherd has basically been uh, synonymous with a leader. You see it all throughout the Psalms. Um, You know, the psalmist saying, hey, referring to God as a shepherd. We also see throughout, uh, yesterday as I was reading through this, I got lost in the prophets, um, finding these symbols or, or the framework for um, this idea of the shepherd in the Bible. In Isaiah 56, if you want to go explore yourself, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 23 and 25, Ezekiel 34, and Zechariah 11. Those are the places where you're going to find um the most prominent picture of of this shepherd. But a lot of it has to do with these shepherds that did not care for their sheep. These leaders and, and rulers or those influencers, that's a good modern word, right? So these influ- influencers over Israel basically used the sheep for their own profit, for their own gain, to fill their pockets or fill their bellies is sort of the picture we get. But in Ezekiel 34, it's prophesied about this uh, shepherd who is to come. And this shepherd who's to come from the line of David, we see through these these, uh, images of shepherds throughout the prophets, that this shepherd from the line of David was going to come and be the true shepherd. So Jesus is leaning into this picture. Um, But what I want to hover around today is this I am statement of I am the door. Later on this week, we'll talk about I am the good shepherd, which is what he says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he starts off by saying, I am the door. He says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And this idea of Jesus being the door within this picture is really quite beautiful. Because the way shepherds would... uh, basically keep their sheep safe at night was there were these things called folds and they were these stone walls that would um, stone enclosures that would hold the sheep in right and keep predators out and there was one opening at the door and typically a shepherd would lay down at the door 
So any of the sheep coming out would have to walk over the shepherd. Any predators coming in would either have to be crafty and find some way to jump the wall, or they would have to walk over the shepherd. So it's this idea of laying down your life for your sheep. Either the predators have to come through you or your sheep have to come through you. And this is so important within this picture. I think it's very significant that Jesus makes two significant I am statements, one right after the other. But first, we're going to cling to the door. Throughout scripture, we see this picture of a door um, as uh, like in Matthew 7, right? It says, knock and it will be opened to you. Again, in Matthew 7, verse 13, it says, enter, enter by the narrow gate. The wide gate leads to destruction. In Matthew 18, it says, to if your, your limbs are causing you to sin or your eyes are causing you to sin, cut off your limbs or pull out your eye that you may enter life, this idea of entering And in Matthew 25, we see this going in with Jesus, entering in with Jesus to this marriage feast, as marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his church. So we see this clear image in scripture that there is a way in to life, that there is a way in and this is hard for us to understand in our culture in our context because you think of like think of a shopping mall right there are so many doors there are so many entrances or or you think of a hospital or you, even your house typically there are multiple entrances and exits a because it makes the building more accessible B, because for safety reasons, right? But we see Jesus saying, I am the way in and I am the way out. It says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Go in and go out and find pasture. He is the only way in and the only way out. You'll talk to a lot of spiritual, quote-unquote, air quotes, spiritual people who say, man, there are many roads to find God. And we see Jesus speaking against that here. If we look at the uh, Matthew 7, verse 8, it says, enter by the narrow gate, basically honing in that that this gate is narrow, that there is a, a narrow way in. And that narrow way is Jesus, that the wide gate leads to destruction. And really with this, this idea, this spiritual idea that many roads lead to, to God, it, it becomes very confusing that there's no cons- consistency within God and his character. If you're going through all these different ways, whether it be... Um, a different faith path, a different belief system, that there's no consistency. And from just sort of a general perspective, it becomes very confusing. 
But when we see that Jesus is making the statement of, I am the door, the way is narrow, knock and it will be open to you. What he's pointing to is himself, his work on the cross. That as he walked on the earth, he was showing us that through him, we have the power to live life. That through him, we have a way to overcome our greatest problem, the thing that holds us back, which is our sin, our worship of anything but God. And what is so significant is if you are looking for the way to enter into true life, you have to go through Jesus because it, it can only be accomplished by the indwelling of his spirit in us. That's the only way that we can experience true love and true life and true joy. True fulfillment and true purpose is being led by him and his spirit dwelling in us. And Jesus made that all possible on the cross, that he defeated death so that we wouldn't have to experience death. And he rose again to show that we too can rise again by the power of his blood and his body and the indwelling of his spirit. We can live true life. That's what he's talking about when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Which, by the way, um, earlier he's talking about many before me are thieves and robbers. So he's speaking in the current tense. So he's, he's basically talking about these Pharisees, that they're, they're preaching a, a false gospel, that you have to do all these things to earn your way to God. And, and what, what Jesus is pointing to is the cross, the one thing that he has done, or in this case, he is going to do, so that we can be reconciled with God and live life, that it is his work that ushers us into true life, not the works that these thieves and robbers, the Pharisees, and even those who came before who were just preying on Israel, right? But then it goes and it says, the thief, the, th- the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It, it, there's a strong reference here to the enemy, Satan, whatever label you want to put on him, And this brings up a a point that I'll I'll touch on just for a moment, that generally when you are walking in the way of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that you are knocking on the door, that you are passing through the narrow gate, um, that you are entering into this marriage feast with Jesus, entering into life, the, the thief doesn't like that. And what I've found in my life is he comes up against that. He comes up against those moves toward the door, through the door, and walking in and out to find pasture. That as we walk in the purpose and in the life that God created for us, that that thief tries to come against us. But once you walk through the door, once you, once you follow the way of Jesus, there is security in that. There's a, there's a part of 
this prophecy in Ezekiel 34 that is really incredible. I want to read it for you here. It says, And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the, of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall, not, they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. Now this is a prophecy about Jesus, and it, and it says that this is the land of Israel, but what, is, what does it say in Ephesians 2? That, that those who were hopeless and without God have been reconciled through the cross and have been made one people with Israel, right? And so we enter into that promise. We enter into that security. And this abundant life is a life of relationship, loving God, loving people. And, and it's not stuff. It's relationship. It's it's fulfilling our purpose, but it's also the sense of security in the cross, that he is the door. He is the only way in, and he is the only way out. So what does this mean for us on a practical level? It means come to Jesus. It means as we open up the word of truth, right? We open up the Bible and we discover more of who God is and we let this scripture shape our hearts and our minds and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come in and would you form me into your likeness? Would you speak to my heart? Would you guide my movements, my actions? I want to receive who you are so it forms who I am. When we spend that time, when we spend our life focusing in on Jesus, we are entering into the abundant life. He leads us into the abundant life. I love you guys. Hopefully this was a blessing to you, being able to see Jesus as the door, the way to eternal life. That he has so much to offer, that he has the abundant life, and the life is in him. Love you guys. We'll talk again on Friday. I'm looking forward to it.